0: to laugh at Katie looking up here. She had her parka on and her gloves. I actually kind of like it. It's cold. It'll be fine. So, this morning, as you see in your, uh, or hopefully you've seen in your bulletin, we, we interrupt our regularly scheduled programming in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look, um, as Pastor Andy just said, one of the numerous places in the Word of God, in the New Testament, that talks about thanksgiving or giving of thanks. Um, and this morning, we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. Colossians 3 verses 15 through 17. And it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Would you join me one more time in prayer? Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, as we open up Your Word, as we consider what it means to be thankful, um, I just pray that that You would open up our ears, that You would open up our minds, that You would soften our hearts. Um, And you would prepare us to hear what you have to say about this and and that we would internalize it and and that we would then take this into the world, especially um, in this week of Thanksgiving, um, that we would understand what it means to give thanks from an internal perspective. More importantly, what it means to give thanks as Christians, as those who are redeemed. So, Father, again, I just pray that You would be with us over the next few moments and that You would be honored in everything that we say and we do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So, as we approach Thanksgiving this year, um, I would be remiss if I did not point out the fact that we face lots of challenges. We face lots and lots of challenges Um, from a worldly perspective there are wars and rumors of wars. Um, if you've caught on the news, there's mass protest in, in Iran, and the brutal government there is just gunning people down. Um, they're, they're just um, just killing people by the numbers to try to gain or to re, um, restore their power. Um, here in this country, it's abundantly clear that our electoral system is broken. Um, we've gone from election day to, what, an election month. Um, we have states in this country who just voted to withhold medical care from babies that are born from botched abortions. Uh, every day you turn on the news, there's a senseless loss of human life because of, bi- of violence. And then here in our own church, as, as Pastor Andy has already highlighted, and as you know, we face all kinds of trials and frustration. We have a young brother who is facing a new cancer diagnosis and all that comes with that. We have another brother who has undergone significant heart surgery, and he has a long recovery ahead of him. Um, We have a family who's concerned about the health of their unborn twin babies. We've lost loved ones. We, we We have those who struggle with anxiety. Our teens are struggling with unbelievable amounts of temptation and worldly influence. And we have those who are trying to work through challenges at work or even find work. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Um, and, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're probably thinking that um, you can't take, you know, much more of this, that, that, um, that, that I can't go on like this the entire time. But seriously, these are real things, right? And, and we have to understand that while we have the Word of God and it is all powerful, these are real things. Nobody is advocating that somehow you just put on a, a bright, shiny face and you go out into the world, and so how do we, what do we do? Do we go about our lives during the week? We deal with these very present real issues, and then we get up on Sunday, we put on our good clothes, we put on our church face, right? We come to the church building, we drop all your struggles at the front door, right? Don't bring them in here, right? Drop them, drop them all off out there. Come in, do your Christian duty. Then you leave at noon, make sure you stop and pick up all your struggles and your trials and head out for another week, and then, on top of it, this week, we have the unique opportunity. Some of you may chuckle a little bit, but we have the unique opportunity to spend time with family. And then we try to conjure up feelings of thanksgiving, and we have to, you know, do the Christian thing and, and talk about all that we're thankful for. But is, is this what the Christian life is all about? Is, is this what we're called to as believers? Is this what our existence should be as those who are redeemed and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ? Is, is this all there is And until we enter heaven, until we enter eternity? We're just going to slog our way through and, and just try to be the best that we can be? Just so, you, in case you're wondering, the answer is no. Okay, the answer is no. And what we're going to see this morning is that the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians is, is that we are called to something much, much more. We're called to something much, much more than what this world has to offer. And, and in these three verses that, that we look at or that we're going to look at, we're going to see three truths, three truths that can change your life. It can, it can immediately change your Christian walk. And don't worry, we've, we've not uh, uh, taken up the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, okay? Um, nothing like that. But these truths that we see here, you can apply before you leave this building. You can apply before you lay your head on your pillow tonight, so, to sum up all three of these truths, we can say it like this. We can be thankful for the peace of Jesus Christ through the word of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. We can be thankful. We can be thankful for the peace of Jesus Christ through the word of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. So, those are your three headings. If you like an outline, those are your three headings this morning peace of Jesus, the word of Jesus and the name of Jesus Christ. And all three of these truths that we are going to see here, there's an imperative. They're all coupled with an imperative, and it is this, to be thankful, to give thanks, to offer up praise. And you can be thankful this morning, regardless of your situation. Now, I know some of you may be thinking right now, Aaron, you you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm dealing with, Um, You don't know what it's like, and you're correct. You are absolutely correct. I, I probably don't know all that you're dealing with, and I can't absolutely relate. But here's the thing if the Bible that you hold in your hand is the Word of God, and it is, right, church? It is the Word of God, and if the Bible is our only source of absolute truth, and it is. And if all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and it is, then we have endless reasons to be thankful this morning. Endless. We cannot count all of the reasons that we have to be thankful this morning. So let's jump into our text this morning and see what God has for us. Now, I I do need to, since we're parachuting in here to this text, I I do want to give some real quick context um, because we need to quickly look at um, why Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, okay? So, the first thing that we need to know is that the book of Colossians is one of the prison epistles. You've probably heard that before, that it's a prison epistle. Um, they are also sometimes known as the captivity letters, and all of the prison epistles are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, okay? So Paul is writing to the church in Colossae while he is in prison at Rome, okay? So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we read what he, is about, what he has for us this morning, that he is in prison, okay? And the reason that he's writing to the Colossian church is because he's he's received a report from Epaphras. Epaphras was the pastor. He was the founder of the church in Colossae. And and there are concerns so much so that he has traveled to see Paul in Rome to, to bring him a report. So, Paul turns around and he writes a letter and he's wanting to encourage them. He's letting them know that he's offering up prayers of thanksgiving to God because of their faith and their love towards the saints. You can see that in the opening parts of of the letter of the book. He also wants them to know that he and Timothy are praying for their continued growth in the Spirit and that God would fill them with the knowledge of His will. Okay. The other thing that we see is that there's also multiple concerns, as I just said. There's multiple heresies that are going on in Colossae. Um, There's the existence of Jewish legalism. There's other philosophies that have cropped up and they are threatening the church. And and I think we can relate to this a little bit in our world, right? Do we have have threats that are coming upon us as believers? Not as much as we see in the rest of the world, but there are things that are starting to crop up in our world. So, we can relate to this, all right? And so, then we come to um, chapter 3, and Paul is reminding them of their position as saints. As faithful brothers in Christ. So look at me when chapter, Look with me in chapter 3, and I want to read verses 1 through 14. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, we see in these first 14 verses very clear commands How we should conduct ourselves if we, in fact, have been raised with Christ. We should seek heavenly things. We should set our mind on heavenly things. We should put to death all forms of sexual immorality, evil desires, and covetousness. We should be putting away all forms of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. How do we do with that, by the way? It's a struggle all the time. I think we all struggle with that all the time. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see that we should take off the old, dirty self and put on the new, clean, renewed self, right? It's a call to take up action, to do something. And then it says, um, again, in verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. Again, this is not just something that we do. We don't just choose to, okay, I'm just going to to be a good person and put on this new self. No, how do we do it? It is being renewed in the knowledge. It's through the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then beginning in verse 12, Paul gives us a greater detail of what this new self should look like, should look like. We are God's holy and beloved, and we should be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. So there's a lot of description here. There's a lot of commands here. But then in verse 14, the most important thing, Paul gives us the most important thing. Paul's saying, I give you all of these things, I'm going to give you this description, all of these things that you should do, what, 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 um, what you should be as a Christian. But then the most important thing he gives us that we should put on. And what is that, church? Love. Love. He says, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds everything, and in that is perfect harmony. Harmony. So then finally, we come to our text this morning that we want to focus on. We roll right into, Paul rolls right into verse 15. And just so you know, and and this has been said before, we know this is a letter, right? There were no verse numbers, right? So we need to keep that in mind as we go through these, that Paul is writing, and and he has all of these connective words, and, so he's rolling right into verse 15. It's a continuation of verse uh, 14, with the word and. And we need to notice here that this is this in verse 15 is an imperative. It's a command. Okay, It's not if you want to. He's telling us what we should do. He's telling the, the Christians in Colossae what they should do. And that is this. That they should let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. To which indeed they were called in one body. And be thankful. So this brings us to our first truth. We can be thankful because of the peace of Christ. We can be thankful because of the peace of Christ. And so the first thing that we need to look at is what is the peace of Christ? What, what is the Apostle Paul talking about when he says that? And we have to be clear here because shortly we're going to see that it has to rule in our hearts. It is to rule in our hearts. So we need to make sure that we understand what this is. And we get a good description and explanation of this piece in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. So, turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Ephesians 2, chapter… I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And it says this, "'Therefore…' being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so that's a lot there, but it is a good kind of holistic description of what this piece is. Paul is reminding them, the, the, the um, Gentiles, the, the Christians in Ephesians, he's saying, remember, you as Gentiles were separated. You were alienated from the covenants of the Old Testament. The same covenants that Pastor Dan has been walking us through in Genesis. All of these same things. The Gentiles were alienated from that. And in fact, he's saying, you were so separated that you had no hope. You were without God in the world. And just as a side note you know what the worst part of hell is going to be? The worst part of hell? It's the absence of God. It is the absolute, total separation between those lost souls and the Almighty God. Because we read in Scripture that that even God reigns or sins reign on the just and the unjust. Even those who do not accept in Jesus Christ still are experiencing and, and have pleasure in the grace of God. But when in hell, there will be a complete separation. So when Paul is talking about this separation here, it's it's extensive. It, 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 is, it is complete separation. As Gentiles, they were separated. And as, as we see earlier in Ephesians 2, They were dead. But look at Ephesians 2.13. Go back to verse 13 in this passage. This is the wonderful part. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So we've been brought near. We as Gentiles have been brought near. We've been grafted in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Well, we just see it there, because Jesus Christ is our peace. It's all through Jesus Christ. He's the one that has broken down the wall of hostility. He's the one that has invalidated and made powerless the Old Testament law. And why? Why did He do it? So He could make peace. He could reconcile both Jews and Gentiles to God in one body through His cross in which He killed the hostility. But there's something even more powerful I want us to notice real quick here. The results of the work of Jesus Christ. And it's this in verse 12. It says, remember that you were once um, at this time, as I've already re- um, uh, read, where, at, at, uh, at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then through Jesus Christ, what do we have? If we were to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, we would read that we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of God. Through this peace, through this breaking down of the wall of hostility, we can go directly to God's throne. There's no separation. The curtain has been torn in two. And so, I hope you see through this that the peace of Jesus Christ It is through all that He has done. It is because of all that He is. And do you see the wonderful part here? The wonderful part is that this is nothing that we manufacture. This is nothing that we conjure up in ourselves. It is His peace. It is His peace. Turn back with me to Colossians 3. Do you see it there in verse 15 at the beginning and let the peace of Christ let the peace of Christ And this peace is nothing this peace is nothing like we find in this world In chapter 14 we have uh, I'm sorry in John chapter 14 we have an account of Jesus right he's in the upper room with the apostles it's the night before his death and he's talking to them about how he must go away And he says this Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, this is the peace. This is the peace that the Apostle Paul is talking about when he's writing to the Colossians. And it is this peace that must rule, it is this peace that must rule in our hearts. Now, real quickly, when we look at this word rule, it's interesting to note that this is the one and only time in the original language that this word is used. It is used nowhere else in Scripture, and it's a description of um, an an umpire or a referee in in the Greek games um, that determines the outcome of of an athletic contest or or something like that. It's, It's the referee that determines who's going to win, who gets the prize, And so, Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ, the gospel, because that's what we're talking about, right, church? We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the gospel be the determining factor in your life. Let it have control over you. Let it be the judge over your life. Let it be the deciding factor in all that you are. And so, what should come out of this? What is Paul expecting to happen? He says it right there, thankfulness. We should be thankful. As beneficiaries, we should be grateful for what has been given to us through, the, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So, to kind of sum that up, Paul's saying, let one thing and one thing only rule in your heart. Let it govern your heart. Let it govern your soul. And that one thing is the gospel. It's the standard in which you operate, you, you, in which you live as a member of the body of Christ, in which you were called. It's the one thing that we should be focused on. If you want to know what you should do, how you should make decisions, how you should deal with some of these trials, it's all through the measurement, the standard of the gospel. So then continuing in verse 16, the the apostle leads right in to another imperative. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Which just brings us to our second truth. We can be thankful because of the Word of Jesus Christ. So, number one is we could be thankful because of the peace of Christ, and number two, we can be thankful because of the Word of Jesus Christ. And this word is this, it's the logos, it's the, it's the word of God, it's the word of God the Son. All of the promises that we receive from our wonderful Savior, this is what He's talking about. And while I hope that everybody within the sound of my voice is grateful and thankful that we have received the word right? We're all thankful for that, that that we all have probably multiple copies of God's Word, and we should be very thankful for that. It's amazing. But there's more here. The command here is that it should not just exist, that it's not just something that we pick up on Sunday, that we bring to church with us. It should not just be something that we do our morning devotions on, and then we set it aside. What does it say here? What does the apostle say? It should dwell it should dwell. And not only that, but it should dwell in us richly, which also could be said, it should dwell in us abundantly. So, let's look at the idea of the word dwelling in us. So, first, I'm not meaning to insult you. Of course, this means, right, you can picture this, um, it just what we think it would mean, that the Bible should take up residence in our souls. Right? When the Bible talks about the heart, it says the heart is, we're not talking about the actual pumping organ in our body. It's our soul. It is who we are inside of this fleshly casing, whatever you want to call it. Right? It is our souls. But it's not only that. It's not only the place where we, this is not the only place where we see that. Things dwell in us, that there is something that dwells in us. I'll just give you a couple references. We won't take time to go to each one, but in Romans 8.11 and 2 Timothy 1.14, we read that the Holy Spirit dwells within the Christian. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says that he is confident that the same faith that dwelt first in Timothy's grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice dwells in him as well. He's confident of that. But here's something that we also face in this world, and we see it in Romans 7. Paul acknowledges something that's very important for us to understand. And it's, the, it's this fact that even though Paul has a renewed heart, that he desires to do what is right in the eyes of God, he will continue to fight sin. We will continue to fight sin because something dwells in our flesh. And what is that? Sin. Sin. We are still in a sinful world. We still battle with the sinful flesh. We've been given a new heart if we've accepted Jesus Christ, but we still battle with this. But the thing that we see in all of those passages, whenever we look at the indwelling of whether it's the Spirit or the Word, there is a result of whatever is dwelling in the individual. There is a result, there's a cause and effect. And in Colossians here, in our text, there's no exception. Paul is reminding the Colossians that when the Word dwells in a believer abundantly or richly, there is a result. There will be a result, which is the outpouring of fruit. Have you ever been working in the yard and you need water? You need water for something, right? Hopefully not a day like today. And you go and you get a couple buckets right? And if you're anything like me, you're lazy and you're already upset that you have to do it because you don't want to be out working in the yard. So, what do you do? You fill up the buckets and you don't fill them up halfway because you want to make one trip, right? So, you fill them up as full as you possibly can, right? And though, so, then you pick them up and you start to carry them and you think you're going to be car- able to carry them without the water spilling out, right? And what happens? It spills out. It goes all over your pants, your legs, your shoes, and what do you do? we're always surprised, right? We're always surprised that that happened. Like, I can't believe that I just soaked my shoes. What in the world is going on here? This is so unfair, right? It just goes everywhere. We're we're frustrated, and we continue, and we continue, and what happens? It continues to spill out, and we end up having to make multiple trips. But when we think about it this way, this is the same principle that we're seeing here, Paul is saying if we fill up our souls with the Word of God to the point that we can't fit anymore, you literally have, have all spent, taken all of your time, when you've put as much time as possible into the Word of God and, and, and pulling it in through reading and meditating and prayerfully considering all that God has, what does he say here? It will overflow. It is going to come splashing out. And that's what Paul is talking about when he goes on and, and he is giving them instruction. And again, what do we see here? It's not that sometimes or, or possibly this might happen. Again, it's a you understood. Look with me at verse 16. He says, let it dwell in you richly. And then he just follows right in. What comes from that? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual thongs, songs with thanks giving. These things will be coming out of our lives, in our lives, and literally out of our mouths, right? We'll be singing and out of our minds. We will want to teach others. And some of you have experienced that. You just can't keep your mouth shut. You just want other people around you to know about the wonderful truths in the Word and about the gospel. It's, coming, it's pouring out of us as we're pouring in the Word into our souls and we're being admonished, we're being corrected, then what will we want to do? The overflow of that is we will want to counsel those around you. And not from a vindictive heart, not from a hateful heart because we are so sure that we are are, um, better than other people. No, that we have a heart that has been corrected That we have a heart that has been changed by the Word of God, and we want to sound the alarm. We want others to know about sin and ungodly behavior and all of the negative things that come from that. And then we'll be singing and worshiping, pouring out praise to God our Father. We will not be able to help it. No matter how hard we try, it will just come pouring out of us. And why will we be doing all of this? We see here because we are thankful to God in our hearts. For all that He has done, for all that He has provided for us, we will not be able to help but be thankful to God in our hearts. We are thankful for all that we know because it is revealed to us in Scripture. We know how the world began. We know God's will because He has revealed it to us. We know that even though we live in a world ruled by sin, we know that God had a plan before the beginning of time. We know that we are all part of that plan. We know that God is fulfilling that plan this very moment, and all things are working exactly as He He has planned them to work. We know that we have, been, we have a Redeemer, that we have been redeemed. We know that this Redeemer is the one that created all things. We know that no matter what we face in this life, that Jesus is preparing a place for us. And we know that that place is our real home. And that it is that place where we will spend all of our eternity in glorified bodies. Now, I know, I know that our feelings betray us. I know that our feelings do not always match these glorious truths that that we are seeing here. But we know that they're true. We should know that they're true. They are real because God has told us through His Word that they're true. And this should cause us to have gratitude towards God in our hearts. That's what Paul is saying here. This should be the outpouring. This should be the result. And then in verse 17, we have the final uh, final point, the final truth that we will see this morning. And it's this, that we can be thankful by doing all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, notice again that we have for the fourth time the use of the word and. It's connecting all of these imperatives together. In verse 14, we saw, it says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In verse 16, or I'm sorry, in verse 15, we see the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. In verse 16, we see the word of Christ uh, abundantly dwelling, richly dwelling in our souls. But in this final verse, Paul has kind of rolled everything up. He's he's packaged everything into a neat package for us. And he's saying, do everything. I don't care what it is, he says. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do everything. There's no exception. We should do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Whether it's something we say, whether it's some action we work or we do, It should all be done in the name of Jesus Christ. If we were to look at um, 1 Corinthians 10.31, we would read this. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I think this is a logical conclusion, is it not? We are granted eternal salvation through Him, and then we are granted His peace. We are given God's revelation. What in our lives does not benefit from this? Pastor Andy hit on this as he read Scripture. Is there anything in our lives that is not affected by this truth? Now, we can choose to go the opposite way. We can choose to just disregard everything that we read in the Bible, and we can go and try to find peace and satisfaction in the world. But how's that working for you? It's not. I I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. It's not working. It never works. No, it it may start out good, but it never works. It never plays out. To what person or what thing can we attribute these eternal um, heavenly benefits? It's to one person and one person only, right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. It is to our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing here is that not only do we honor Christ when we do all things in His name, what else does it say here? That when we do this, we are offering up thanks to God. It's a two-for-one. When I do all things in the name of Jesus Christ, I am also honoring God. I'm giving thanks to God. It was God's ultimate plan to save sinners through His Son. And Paul reminds the Colossians earlier um, in in this same letter. Turn with me back to chapter 1 real quick. Chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter 1 verse 12, it says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then in verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has taken us and we were one place and He has transferred us to the exact opposite. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness, and we are now in the kingdom of his beloved Son. And if you notice in Scripture, there, there's kind of this, what I'll say is a circular trend that all things start with God and all things end with God. When you see in Genesis 1, in the beginning was who? God. When you go to the end of Revelation, it is Jesus Christ, it is God, and everything in between, is. there's this circular um, plan. In 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 through 6, it says this, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and quote-unquote lords, yet for us... There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom, we are, through whom are, all, are all things and through whom we exist. There's a parallel there, right? Paul is saying when he writes to the Corinthians, there's many gods and lords in this, worldly gods and lords, but for us as the saved, as the redeemed, there is one God, God the Father, for from whom are all things, and what? For whom we exist. Your existence is for God. Our existence is not for our pleasure, for all of the material things that we can amass in this world. It is for God. It is for Jesus Christ. So, with this in mind, when we go back over to chapter 3, it makes sense hopefully it makes sense, that we would do all things in the name of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we're thanking the Father for all that He has made for us, that all, the, everything that He has given to us. And so I hope you see that there's a difference between where we started this morning and then what we are called to be, what we are commanded to be, what we have seen just in this short time. Yes, we have trials. Yes, cancer is very real. Yes, cardiac surgery is unbelievably real. Yes, the struggles that you are going through are real. They're not some figment of your imagination. They're not just something that you can just overlook. But the wonderful thing is, is that we're not defined by this. We're not ruled by these things. We have true peace. The true peace is Jesus Christ, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit who is our helper, and we have the Word of God, and we have the sovereign creator of the universe in which we can cry out, Abba, Father, and guess what? He hears you. He hears you. And guess what else? He calls us sons and daughters. So, then we can take the muddy, filthy water of this world, all the struggles, all of the trials, we can put them then through the filter that is made up of the promises of Scripture, which is more real, alive, and active than anything we know in this world, and what do we get? What do you get on the other side? We get the true living water that Jesus tells the woman about at the well. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, we read this account. And Jesus tells the woman, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So these amazing truths that Paul gives us were written to the Christians in Colossae. In chapter 1, verse 1, we read that he is writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. He's writing to the church. And in so doing, he they're written for you and I today. That they're written to us. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then what? You will be saved. It's not maybe. You will be saved. Don't refuse Him. Don't wait until a more convenient time. Don't wait until, man, I just need to get through the holidays, and then I'll, I'll deal with Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can be thankful that you have peace, the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, that you are filled with the Word of Christ, and you proudly are able to do all things in His name because He is your Savior. So, don't let this one holiday in November be your only season of thanksgiving. Let your entire life be one of thanksgiving, regardless of the trials. And we can worship like the psalmist in Psalm 107. Turn over real quickly, real quickly to Psalm 107. I want, to re- I want to leave you with the first nine verses. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 9. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. "...whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distresses. He led them by the straight way, till they reached a city..." to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. These are amazing truths that we have seen in this short time that we can cling to, as I said at the beginning, that you can take and you can implement in your life this very moment, and it will change everything. It may not get you all of the riches in this world. It's not going to help you avoid all trial and tribulation, but it is the one thing that you know to be true that you cling to and you know that you will be able to store up your treasures in heaven because that's where God is. That's where Jesus is interceding for you and I at this very moment. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do struggle with real trials. I think of Seth this morning. This is a struggle. For our 18 year old young brother, this is a struggle. This is very, very real. I also think of Dave Lever as he is, is dealing with the recovery from a very, very extensive surgery. And I also lift up to you all of the other unsaid prayers, all of the other things that I don't know about, but you do know about them, Father. You promise to give us the peace of Jesus Christ. You promise to deal with all of these things. And You tell us, as we have just seen, that then the overflowing of this, the fruit of this will be the ability for us to lift up our voices to You, that we will be able to sing praises to You. So, Father, as we leave here today, I pray that we are able to do all things in Your name, that that will be at the very forefront of our minds, that no matter what we go through, no matter what challenges we face, whether it's getting up in the morning and going to work or going to a doctor's appointment or whatever it may be, that we do all of these things in your name because we are acknowledging you for who you are. And because of that, we can have thanks because you have redeemed our souls. And in that, We have a Redeemer. We have one who is interceding for us, and it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that, and that alone, we can be thankful. And no matter what we deal with in this life, that is the spring that keeps overflowing, the living water that will keep us hydrated and nourished no matter what we face. So, Father, thank you for this time that we have had together to open up your Word. We love you, and we praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.